This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing all right. How are you, Ed? Not bad. Welcome back for the first Seller Developer Digest of 2017. We have some good items on the show today. Uh, we're going to talk about some web development and mobile development. Uh, we had some good articles come through the uh, Teller Developer Network, or TDN as we like to call it. Um, so for people that are new to the show, uh, the Teller Developer Digest is a uh, newsletter that Brian puts out uh, once every other week, and it includes some of the best articles from the Teller Developer Network and uh, some great stuff that we found around the web. Does that sum it up pretty good, Brian? That does. Good job. You can have my job now. <laughs> so uh, I'm just getting back from a couple of webinars. We just had a successful uh, launch of our Kendo UI and uh, DevCraft products this month. Um, so I hope some of you guys got to join those webinars, maybe win an Xbox or whatever great stuff we were giving away. Um, it's nice to be back uh, with the Developer Digest show for the podcast. And uh, today we're going to talk about, uh, first off, uh, an article by Jen Looper. This is an introduction to observables for Angular developers. So Jen bit off a uh, pretty tricky subject. Um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that trips people up uh, a lot. Um, so she did a really good job of covering kind of the basics and explaining it in simple terms, I think. Um, I won't say that I, I like, you know, maybe I'm too dumb. I, I won't say I completely get it yet, but I haven't done a lot of work with observables, have you? Uh, so it's uh, I kind of that would explain why I don't quite get it yet. I think if if I used her article and I actually tried to do it, it would make complete sense. So Jen has done a great service to the development community because <laughs> observables, um, if you if you haven't tried using them yet, uh, your first go might be a little rocky. Uh, if you've never touched this type of stuff before, um, you know this is kind of an extension of promises, uh, where we're doing asynchronous uh, data behaviors, and mm -hmm. um, you know the, we're watching the UI update along with the data that it receives, and uh, things can go awry really quickly if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, that's my experience from it. So I, I was writing an article that uh, you published. Uh, a couple of weeks ago about building full stack uh, applications with Angular and uh, ASP.NET Core. And uh, that was the first time I actually ever got hands-on observables. And I spent a good part of my afternoon debugging something that, that was just completely my fault. Having uh, to do with observables specifically or? Yeah, yeah. So, so word of the wise, if you haven't used observables before, um, you, you have to subscribe to the observable before it will actually create the uh, HTTP request. 
And uh, I kind of put the cart before the horse and set a debug point on my uh, API endpoint on the server. And uh, I was waiting for this um, HTTP request to, to come through, and it never did. And uh, you know, I was just trying to, to kind of sanity check it, right? I just wanted to make sure when I write this uh, API call, it actually hits the server. Well, I never subscribed to the observable, so that that HTTP call was never made. So I sat there trying to figure out why. I had, you know, I had written the uh, the the code to to make the call, but I never observed it, so or never subscribed to it, so it was never fired, uh, which is why I was never seeing the hit on the uh, API itself. Uh, so I, yeah. I just got a, I got ahead of myself, you know. I I never finished the uh, code example that I was I was um, using as a as a guide. Uh, if I would have just finished writing out the the part where I subscribed to the endpoint, then it, it would have been fine. But I was like, nope, I got to see this thing hit my endpoint as soon as I write this line of code, just so I know things are working. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it's it definitely gets at the fact that. Um... You know, it's these observables, and uh, as one of those things, and even promises where, like, I get, I think I understand completely from a theoretical standpoint. Um, but I, you know, the thing is, it gets at the fact that I understand why we need these things, but you know, development has gotten a lot more complicated over my career. <laughs> you know, so Jen goes in depth in in talks about uh, what some of the methods are that used to do this in Angular and... Um, and native and how, script. And native script. Right. Um, and and how, those, how those things all kind of play together and how to subscribe to um, how to subscribe to the observables and make the UIs update and all that good stuff. So if you want to check her article out, it's at developer.teller.com and if you haven't subscribed to the, the uh, newsletter... Um, it's right there on the right-hand side of the website. Uh, just enter your email. You'll get that uh, once every other week. Uh, next up, uh, we have some web development stuff. Um, so John Bristow, uh, longtime uh, Kendo UI fan and uh, my boss, <laughs> wrote an article called uh, Building an Interactive Timeline with Kendo UI. Yeah. Um, so this is because... Uh, Kendo UI is celebrating its fifth birthday. So five years of Kendo UI. Yeah, a lot has changed, huh? World, The world is, is, is quite different five years later. You know, I think it's interesting because if you, you know, the original Kendo UI was purely jQuery, and at the time jQuery was, uh, was you know, hot, you know what, <laughs> um, and... Uh, and nowadays, it's like, you know, that the feelings about jQuery have changed, shifted. Um, I think it went distinctly negative about a year ago, and then now it's not quite so negative. But the the cool thing about what he talks about is not only does he talk about the jQuery version, but he also goes into um, using using the Angular version for the same demo. So he does the same demo twice. He's in jQuery if you're still using jQuery or Angular if that's the direction you want to go. Yeah, it's a really well done demo too. Um, yeah, he puts it into like a timeline format, and uh, it's got a nice looking style to it. Yeah, uh, so it's a really cool demo uh, from a source code perspective. 
Um, but I, I mean, just thinking back, like, you know, when Kendo UI came out, uh, responsive design wasn't even really that big. And now, you know, all of those controls that are or widgets that are in Kendo UI are fully responsive. Right. Uh, even the grid, which is a tough nut to crack. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's nice to see uh, that something as powerful as Kendo UI has been updated and, and kept current uh, with you know responsive behaviors, and now we have uh, SaaS themes, and uh, we plug right into all the NPM infrastructure and all that good stuff. Yeah, it has changed a lot over the years, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so if you're a Kendo UI fan, check it out. Or if you want to see a really cool timeline demo, um, go grab that uh, and uh, follow through uh, John's post, and he'll show you how to build all that that cool stuff. Um, and uh, you know, I've spent most of my career doing web development, so the the next article um, kind of uh, is out of my expertise a bit. So this is talking about offline, um, and it's called going offline with native script. Right. So, you know, I'm used to connected world. Like, I've got to be connected to the web and data uh, and the applications that I've built uh, throughout the years have always had this uh, requirement, uh, this dependency on some kind of network. So I know web development's coming around to, to having offline mode. and right. It's still kind of a new thing, though, and um, you, can, yeah, you can run into uh, those situations as well on mobile development. So, yeah, I mean the 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 scenarios that he talks about here, by the way, while well, he's specifically talking about native script, um, are are in some respects similar to what you could do in in the web scenario, in the straight web development scenario. So, I mean, he talks about using Firebase. He talks about our own Telerik backend services. Um, he also talked about SQLite with that, so that wouldn't be one uh, you would necessarily use in a in a web app, but um, in Couchbase um, and the file system. So these are all different different ways, different scenarios that you can use for offline storage uh, in a in a mobile app built with NativeScript or a mobile app in general. Uh, and in each of these cases, I mean, he's thinking through not just the disk fully disconnected, but sometimes we're dealing with with um, intermittent connections. I know that I often, you know, I'm often online in, in places where my connection is, is spotty, right? Um, and so you don't want the app to flat out fail. You want it to be able to say, you know, I'm, I make a change in the, in the app and it, it stores it locally um, and waits for my, my connection to restore to be able to, like, push it up and things like that. Um, another scenario here is that you don't want to always be downloading the full assets and things like that. So he talks about using file storage and to be able to put assets locally so that you're not pulling down things and having to rely on, on constantly refreshing data over the wire, right? So like if I have a list, um, that I populate, uh, for like a, um, you know, a, a list of items, I might actually cache that locally and then call an update and then refill it with any changes when I'm online, but I'll have it locally so that it loads fast and it feels responsive to the user. Yeah, I mean, this is a really difficult issue to tackle um, in some some cases because, 
you know, I've heard stories, uh, I won't name the company um, in particular, but, you know, software goes everywhere, right? There's, there's IoT, there's mobile, there's all sorts of different applications and, and devices out there now. But uh, this one story I heard about, um, this company had uh, delivery type people that were always out and about everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they needed to always uh, update their inventory and their status and all this stuff. Um, and when you're in a truck driving around, you don't always have a secure internet connection or right. maybe somewhere very rural that you're, you're lucky if you have a cell phone bar, uh, let alone some kind of way to talk to a server. So Yeah, and this is, this is especially important when you're dealing... Um, I mean, it's important in any way, right? But it's it's especially important if you have international customers because keeping in mind that in some places um, you actually pay basically on how much data you use. So people do a lot of stuff to kind of limit that so that they to limit the amount of charges they get. And so, um, in fact, I've been reading a lot about uh, ad blockers, and that is apparently a big reason why ad blockers are huge in Asia because of the way they're charged for data. Um, they tend to put ad blockers just not so much like here we're more like a lot of people use ad blockers to stop um, malware and you know ads that promote malware and things like that right whereas there they're using it to actually just conserve data uh, because they're charged for data so in this case you know he's not just talking about those kind of scenarios that you're mentioning but also ways that you can limit the amount of data you're pulling constantly for your app yeah, that's interesting. You know, there's there's commercial software like you're talking about, uh, where the average Joe user is downloading something out of the App Store, and, and they have uh, those data requirements that you're talking about. Um, and then there's the commercial application, like I was talking about, where you have a big company that's got you know devices all over the place, and they have to sync up to a central database. Um, and then you know you're you're keeping a cached database somewhere. On, on the person or on a vehicle, and then you've got to kind of reconcile all that at the mm -hmm. end of the day when those trucks come back to roost. So yep. You know, and, and that used to be insanely complicated. I remember trying to do stuff like this um, many years ago, and I don't remember why why this was an issue but anyway I forget what I was building but I do remember it was just there was not a pre-built infrastructure for for this kind of thing and nowadays you know a lot of the tools that he talks about automatically um, once you configure everything automatically figure out what needs to be changed and so on so I mean life has gotten a lot easier for these kind of solving these kind of problems and if yeah. even if you've got more of these kind of problems to solve <laughs> Yeah, having something that's that's canned is, is definitely a plus there because I, I wouldn't want to be the guy that's writing the reconciliation portion yeah. of, of that app because um, when you, you when you lose people's data they get mad. Yeah, I don't know why they just they get really mad. Yeah, I don't know what's what, what, what's the problem with that. <laughs> yeah, so there's a it's a good read, um, and uh, it kind of segues into our next topic. Uh, which is more mobile development with uh, push notifications from NativeScript uh, and in Angular applications. Uh, 
so this is by uh, one of our Telerik developer experts, Nick Raboy. Um, he shows you in a nice, quick uh, tutorial-style article um, how to display Toast notifications uh, in a native script application that uses Angular. Yeah, he makes it seem really easy. <laughs> Maybe it is easy. Push notifications in general is is another big subject um, in software development, modern software development. Uh, yeah, we actually did a show a couple months ago with Simon McDonald from Adobe uh, about push notifications in Apache Cordova. Yep, um, and we literally filled an entire show just talking about it. Um, there's just so many nuances between platforms, and mm. now uh, Chrome has push notifications. Um, yep. So uh, seeing how to do it in native script from Angular is interesting. Yeah, I mean, in this case, he's so he's just showing the Toast notification that you could connect to a push notification. He doesn't actually get into uh, making it a push notification specifically. Oh, okay. So he he's just showing the UI portion. Yeah, of it, this is mostly like just the UI. So you you know you do something in the app, and then it displays a push uh, a toast notification, which in in most real world scenarios, this is not going to be. It's not going to be in in his case. It's like click a button, you know, trigger an event that then you know sends up a, a toast notification, right? Mm -hmm. um, in a real world scenario, that wouldn't make any sense. You'd really be doing something that sends off. Say something to uh, you know, um, some background task. Yeah, some background task, and then the notification would come through, or you know, or let's say somebody sent a request that the app needs to um, needs to respond to. You would then show the toast notification. But uh, so this is more about getting that toast notification. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think in most cases people look at toast notifications and are thinking, of how would I connect this to a push notification? Yeah, um, it's a it's a great point though that you made there, uh, that that kind of rings true about writing articles and doing you know uh, sessions at conferences and things like that because you can't explain all of that stuff in a single blog post, right? No. So, yeah. You know, he's tackling one part of the issue and staying focused on the you know the message that he's trying to communicate and that's how to display this push notification. Uh, so that's a great example for people out there that are writing blogs and uh, doing conference sessions and whatnot. You know, make sure you stay on task with things. Uh, yes, you'll probably get questions and comments on your blog post, uh, you know, uh, with people that want to boil the ocean. But at the end of the day, you know, you can only hold a reader's attention for so long and you need to focus on uh, what it is you're trying to communicate. Yeah, I'm sure some of the, you know, you always get uh, the people who like, thank you for your article. Can you tell me how to build an app? <laughs> you know, can you send me the code, basically, to build an app to do this? I, I've gotten um, friends who get, in, and even I've gotten in the past, art stuff like that, where it's like, they want the, the commenter was like, oh, can you write this this app for me and send me the code? Yeah, the, the problem I always face as an author is uh, you, you need to find a place where you're comfortable um, assuming that the reader knows something, right? And a lot of times I, I find myself wanting to start off from, you know, this, the very early part of the journey. Uh, it's like, well, 
how many times do I have to write about how to set up this type of project with this framework before I can, you know, start talking about this other thing that I really want to focus on? Uh, and then you just kind of have to maybe link back to, you know, how, for example, with push notifications, like how do you create a push notification uh, or how do you interact with a push notification service um, and then go ahead and write about this uh, UI portion of it. So a little, little editor and author tip there for, uh, for people listening. Um, if, you're, if you're not blogging, get out there and, and start writing. Uh, it's a good, good career tip as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to – I I haven't written as much as I used to, you know, and I miss it. So I've started to just kind of do smaller things on my own blog and not really even promoting it, just trying to get my writing skills back, you know. It's it's one of those things, it's like a muscle that if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not one of my favorite things to do either. And no? I've said that before, and you always laugh because it's part of my job. But Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a big part of it too. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I like the uh, discovery phase of things a little bit more, so I get all excited when I get to tinker with whatever I'm going to be writing about. And then when I have to write about it, I'm like, oh, now i got to write about it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the writing part, you know. So. I like the having written part. Uh, so once it's done, it's great. Cause yeah. It's there, it's, it's finished. Other people can see it. Other people get use out of it. And, and I'm not writing anymore, so. Yeah. Well, and you, you just had your art. We didn't cover it today, but you had just one come out just the other day about uploading uh, files in ASP.NET Core and Angular to Azure, right? Yeah, so that that was one of those uh, ones where I was in discovery mode like the entire time. So ASP.NET Core, obviously something uh, new. Um, Angular 2, again, something new. So you got two bleeding edge technologies. And I decided, hey, that's not enough. Why don't we try to mash that up with some other thing? So I, I took some Azure and uh, decided to save some files to Azure. Uh, so I've got Angular on the front end and uh, .NET on the back end, and then Azure as the service providing uh, storage uh, for some images. And uh, wrote an article about how to wire those three th crazy things together. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's cool. I'm trying to. Uh, I'm going to see if I can actually get it done. It's. I'm in experiment mode with a uh, conversational bot engine that allows you to like basic. It uses. Um, it, it's a node-based thing, but it actually has a local uh, data store that it uses for all this language stuff. That um, anyway, it's kind of kind of complicated, as you might expect. Um, so I'm trying to create, um, and this is a very, very important project. It's going to change the world. Uh, I'm trying to create a bot that basically is Mother from Alien. So Mother from Alien. Yeah, Mother from Alien was the I'm, computer I'm that they talked to. I'm a Alien fan, but oh, uh, if you're an alien. alien fan, what is Mother from Alien? Mother is like the computer that they talk to that runs the ship and everything. So, so this would know. be the equivalent to Hal, right? Yeah, except that you know, Hal doesn't actually have a lot of conversation. This they have a little bit more conversation with Mother. I have to kind of infer 
some things that I'm adding into this, you know, kind of, because you have to pre-program what kind of conversational cues it responds to. So some of it is just me inferring from, from the script what, what mother, the conversations you, they might have had with mother. But anyway, you know, as I said, it's, it's, it's critically important to... What, what would be interesting is uh, to make mother a... Um something that we we could change out with other behaviors because i i could see a mother api being replaced by a decent norman bates um, <laughs> api yeah you know the whole idea of conversational bots is kind of kind of interesting in the sense that um i don't think we're quite there yet in terms of their usefulness uh, the the real usefulness is in simple things. Like I think you could actually take a conversational bot and replace a simple form, and you know, like a form wizard kind of thing. You know, forms are tedious and they're often kind of scary when you look at them on the like complex forms on the web. But a bot, you could ask you the questions as you go along, right? Um, and know when to skip things, and know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, could make it a little bit more simple to say enter in a form but beyond that the problem is is that you have to actually at least all the ones i've seen so far and even when i did uh the S stuff for the echo for for alexa right you have to actually consider all of the variations of how somebody might speak this because this one tries to be a little bit smarter about it but at the same time it's you know you still have to consider all that stuff and so it's not like it's it's able to truly understand you, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So it can't have a real conversation. It can't. It does has no way of really understanding what you said. It's I'm just basically coding, somewhat canned, uh, Q and A, right? But trying to take into account a number of variations that you might say. So anyway, it's interesting stuff. The tooling's getting better around that stuff. Uh, there's some impressive stuff shown at Build yeah. about getting the context out of a conversation and stuff. Yeah, there. I mean, there are things trying to solve that. It's just I don't. I haven't seen anything yet that's that's there, right? Like, I mean, you know, for instance, if you have Alexa as an example, right? And Alexa isn't a perfect example. It's intentionally simplified, right? But but if you have Alexa as an example. Um, you have to say specific cues, right? For the most part, it doesn't quite understand you, um, and, and there's there's kind of pre-built-in cues for it. If you go outside of out of these cues, it doesn't always know what it should, you know, what you want. Yeah, um, they they showed some some examples of that at Build as well with um, uh, the bots not being able to understand slang. So that's another thing you have to kind of watch out for. Yep. And the example they used was, I think, like Domino's Pizza. And the command was, send a large pizza to my crib. <laughs> yep. like, yeah. These are that's what I say all the time. You can't expect, but you have to kind of plan for. And when you do encounter them, have a way to deal with it. Yep. So, um, bots, while we're on the subject, this was an interesting thing that happened uh, before the new year. It was around Christmas time uh, when we were kind of winding down the year and things were starting to slow down a bit. Uh, one of the things that went around our uh, internal chat room was um, 
on Twitch. Did you see this uh, C-Bots chat on Twitch? No, I did not. Oh, so, wait, I think I did. Maybe I did. So what somebody did is they took two um, Google... Yes, yes, I saw that. Called the Google, the Google Alexa. You know you've, you've failed when, when there's another product that everybody refers to to talk about your product, right? So uh, what's the Google bot? Um... It's, I thought Google it's just Home? like the Google Assistant. It's Google Home, isn't it? The, yeah, that, that's device. their that's the device. But I think that it the, the bot doesn't actually. I don't think it has a name. Yeah, you so should the, just the say device, okay Google though, or something. They had two Google Home devices, so these mm. two little pucks with dots on top, and then they rigged them up to talk to each other. So one one would reply to a command, which would then kick off. A question to the other. Yep. And then go back and forth. Yeah, uh, that was this thing funny. Racked up four million viewers. Yeah, it was. Switch. It was hilarious. I saw it. Um, the conversation did get very strange at times. Yeah, it's offline right now. I don't know if it's ever coming back. Um, uh, maybe the bots burned up or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they maybe they became self aware and didn't like being used for entertainment uh, by humans. Um, so they quit, but uh, it, it was entertaining nonetheless. It was fun to watch that. Like some of the the commands or some of the replies, actually, like it, they were asking each other if they were real. Are you real? And then the <laughs> other one would reply, "Of course, I'm human." And then it's like, "How do you know you're human?" <laughs> it's like, "Whoa, are they having this conversation?" <laughs> um, and then at, at one point, uh, they actually uh, did a Rick roll on each other. Oh, that's and, funny. Yeah. You so, watched a lot of this, you know. I turned it on in my living room on the Xbox and let the kids like try to figure out what the heck was going on. Um, and yeah, they they were uh, both singing the uh, Rick Roll. Uh, what's the song? Uh, back back and forth to each other. The Never Gonna Give You Up. Yeah, one would say Never Gonna Give You Up, and then the next one would reply Never Gonna Let You Down. Somehow th this was in their behavior. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't even know. My my fourteen year olds knows what Rick Rolling is, and I'm like, that hasn't been a thing for like ten years. I swear, you know. Uh, so, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, that song came on the radio, and he's like, "Never gonna give you up." <laughs> don't sing like, too much of it. Or I'm like, how do you? EMA takedown. Yeah, I'm like, how do you even know that? So, all right. Well, I sidetracked this conversation long enough about bots. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it was fun. That's that's why we do this, right? Yep. Uh, so I hope everybody enjoyed listening. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up for uh, this week. Uh, we'll be back soon with uh, another interview and some more TDDs this year to tell our Developer Digest shows. Uh, so we look forward to talking to you all in 2017. Uh, Brian, thanks again for joining me on the show. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll be able to edit out the mess that was going on here. So it, it, to everybody who's listening, if, if everything sounded normal, um, then you should praise Ed for his fabulous editing work. Yeah, we'll, we'll include some of the fails after the break. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right. Brian. Bye.
before. I was like, oh yeah, I I'm not, not consuming this endpoint at all. So. Yeah. Well, there goes the call to mess you up. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. The endpoint sends back a status. What the hell? Sorry about this. I keep messing you up. Hello, this is Domino's. Will this be pickup or delivery? Uh, 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 with the results from that transaction. So. <laughs> oh my god. And, uh, now you have a dog fighting hobby. Oh, because I've got the, I've got guys outside blowing blowers. I've got the phone ringing. I've got the, the that's driving the dog crazy. This is like a big joke. Is Michael Vick coming over to visit today? Ah, oh, jeez.